If October 18th is your special day, or if it's special for someone you care about, then come stride with me. I've got some great stories to share with you about some things that happened on this day in the past. This special day witnessed a major advancement in the history of telephones, the birth of the father of rock and roll, and then we've got a great butterfly effect story spanning just under 300 years of history. That's some great company to be in, my friend. Welcome, seekers, to the enchanting world of Daystrider, the podcast where we embark on a daily journey through history. I'm your travel guide, Truman Pastworthy, and together we'll explore some fascinating stories that happened on this exact day, but from sometime in the past. From groundbreaking inventions to remarkable birthdays and extraordinary events to quirky national holidays, we've got it all. So kick back, relax, and open your mind for some lighthearted stories that'll leave you saying, huh, I never knew that happened on this day. Alrighty then, let's get to it. Let's dive in and learn something fun and interesting about telephones. So right now, believe it or not, about three quarters of all podcast listeners actually use their smartphone to enjoy this form of entertainment. Of course, everybody's on the go and being mobile makes it easy. But there was a time when every single telephone was connected together, literally, with wires. That's right. There was a wire. So think about your phone. The handheld device that you use like a telephone now, there used to be a handheld device that was hooked by a wire to the wall. And then behind the wall and out in the ground, a wire connected all of that unit to every other telephone that existed everywhere in the world. I'm telling you, it's hard to believe, but think about it. Think about all those telephone poles you see when you're out there driving around on the road. They were all put there because back in the day, every single telephone was hooked together with wires. Now, before I beat you down with any more facts about telephones, let me tell you a quick story. I know a girl named Charlie, and her birthday happens to be on this very day, October 18th. When she was younger, she didn't believe that sound traveled in waves. And no matter how hard her parents or her siblings or her friends tried, they could not convince her that sound traveled in waves. She just thought that sound got there to your ears. I assure you, people tried to explain this. For example, they showed her how speakers worked. You could see the speaker vibrating when the music was turned on. And we explained that that vibration forced the sound waves through the air to her ears, making her eardrums vibrate. Nope, not good enough. Her family and friends tried many different things until they used the oldest telephone experiment of them all. Have you ever made a string phone? Yep, I'm talking about taking two cans and hooking them together with a string. If you ever have nothing to do and want to try something fun with your family or friends, try this experiment. Get some cans and some kite string or cooking string that might be laying around the house and hook them together. And then you can try out what telephones were like in the very beginning of time. So anyway, back to our story, we were explaining to Charlie that sound waves, when you talk into the can, the sound waves vibrate the end of the can, makes waves that travel along the string to the other can, vibrates the end of that can, and bang, you can hear what that person's saying. We had a lot of fun trying it out in different rooms and closing and opening doors and going up and down the stairs until finally the coup de grace. We had somebody talk through the phone, the string phone, to Charlie. And then, while they were talking, we cut the string, and suddenly the sound was gone. 
she had an epiphany and finally discovered or learned that the sound was traveling along that string, and once it was cut, the sound was gone. Finally, Charlie understood. So, that's actually how real telephones worked back in the day. They were all hooked together, as I said before, by wires. And of course, there was an electric current that pushed the wavelengths along those wires so that you could get it to go further and further away than 20 or 30 feet in your house, uh, you know, down the hall into somebody else's bedroom. On this day in history, back in 1892, the first long-distance telephone call was made. That call was from New York City to Chicago, about 950 miles apart. And yes, believe it or not, there was copper wire running along telephone poles from the city of New York all through different towns and cities across America to Chicago, about 43,000 telephone poles in all. And it took several minutes for the message to go all that long way, 950 miles. Uh, But it worked. And it was a big event. Uh, They had the mayor of New York talk to the mayor of Chicago, and then they had other people in New York talk to others in Chicago. It was a big event. It made the papers and everything. Yep, the newspapers, the literal printed newspapers. But it was a huge event, and it was actually a huge advancement for business and the markets. Because think about it. Now the New York Stock Exchange traders could talk directly and daily with the Chicago futures market traders giving both more information than they ever had access to before. We could probably spend a whole podcast just on how the long-distance telephone call changed America's position in the financial power hierarchy of the world. All right, so now it's time for a quick telephone montage that spans the last 130 years or so. So we'll start with our October 18th long-distance call from New York to Chicago. It took 22 more years to build all the telephones and hook all the copper wires together to get from New York to California. And then it took 56 more years to make a long-distance call from New York City to London. So we had to span the entire Atlantic Ocean. And then it wasn't until 1963, so 75 years after that first long-distance call, before the folks in Europe were making long-distance telephone calls, their first one was from Paris to London. Here's the biggie and the one that most of you care about, 1983. So 95 years after the first long-distance call, the first mobile network was put in place, and we finally had a chance to get rid of all those copper wires. So over the last 40 years, since 1983, your mobile phones have been getting smarter and smarter and more efficient and more advanced. And in fact, people don't even use the telephone component. And instead, smartphones are used for many other reasons, like listening to podcasts. So guess what? Here's what I think you should do. Push pause on this podcast. Take your phone and call someone and just say hi. How you doing? And tell them, happy October 18th. Today in the world, there's punk rock, grunge, metal, progressive rock, blues rock, hard rock, soft rock, alternative rock, folk rock, and much, much more. And all that rock just used to be called rock and roll. In the 80s, Joan Jett said it best when she said, I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. In the 70s, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Rolling Stones shared that one with us. In the 60s, rock and roll music was sung by the Beatles. And in the 50s, rock and roll music was sung by Chuck Berry. Whoa, let's stop right there. Today is actually Chuck Berry's birthday. 
and many love to call him the father of rock and roll. If it weren't for Chuck Berry, we might still have rock and roll, but it would be a whole lot less colorful. He added this crazy duck walk that he did on stage. He had some fantastic guitar solo performances. And man, he brought a lot of energy and pizzazz to the genre. But you don't have to listen to me to believe that. There's plenty of arguments out there that Chuck Berry is the father of rock and roll. In fact, if you go to Google right now and you type in father of rock and roll, boom, Chuck Berry comes up first. If you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see who the first class of inductees are, Yep, Chuck Berry's right there on top. He's the first one on the list. And then you could even ask NASA. Yes, that's right. You heard me. NASA. In 1977, NASA sent a spaceship called the Voyager spacecraft out into space with the intent of finding other life in the universe. And they included on that ship a golden record. And that record had sounds of various recordings from Earth, uh, nature sounds and other types of sounds. It also had greetings in 55 languages, and they put various cultural music from around the world. And guess what the U.S. selection was? Johnny Be Good by none other than Chuck Berry. So if all that's not good enough, how about this? I can list hundreds of artists who attribute Chuck Berry as an inspiration to their work. I'm going to name a few for you, just like Bubba Gump did when he talked about the many different ways to eat shrimp. The Rolling Stones, The Beatles, Elvis Presley, Jimi Hendrix. Bruce Springsteen. Of course, one of my favorites is ACDC. Eric Clapton. And their lead guitarist, Angus Young, attributes a lot of his actions on stage to Chuck Berry. For example, Angus does this hop-skitter thing across the stage when he's playing his guitar, similar to Chuck Berry's Duck Walk. Angus also engages with the audience during concert, where he'll play some chords and stop and hold his hand next to his ear out to the audience and let them cheer. And then he'll play a few more chords and get a bigger cheer. Van and then you'll play some more chords really and get a bigger cheer on on and on until he crescendos into a final the solo. Birds, the Grateful Dead. He attributes that to Ramones, Chuck Berry. The Clash. And I've read that Chuck Berry used to stop singing and taunt the audience to sing back, and then Chuck would sing some more, taunt the audience some more, and keep them going and build a lot of energy for his concerts. John Mellencamp, Bon Jovi, The Stray Cats, The Pretenders, and The Red Hot Chili Peppers. So this is a storytelling podcast, and I'm going to tell you a story. Daryl Davis told this story on C-SPAN about a Chuck Berry concert that took place in 1973 at the Cole Field House in the University of Maryland. And from what I can tell, this seems like a typical Chuck Berry story about how he handled his gigs and concerts all throughout his career. So, a little bit of background. Chuck Berry did not have a backup band. He went from town to town and concert to concert and the promoters were supposed to find backup bands to help Chuck Berry play the music. So he never worked with those folks, uh, never knew them, met them typically on the day of the concert. And this night in Coalfield House in 1973 was just the same thing. Chuck was supposed to play at 8 o'clock. Jerry Lee Lewis was the opening act. And actually there was a band led by Bruce Springsteen, who was the backup band for Chuck Berry that night. Bruce and his band drove down from New Jersey. Now, at the time, in 1973, he was an up-and-comer. It was a couple years later that Bruce was on the cover of Time magazine. But at this time, he was an up-and-coming band. They drove down to the University of Maryland. They rehearsed. They got ready to go. They were waiting for Chuck Berry, getting nervous. Maybe he wasn't going to show up that night. And then, as Jerry Lee Lewis was wrapping up, whatever you call the performance before the main act, 
Chuck Berry walked in the door, no guitar in hand, and asked to find the promoter's office. He walked back to the promoter's office to get paid. So apparently this is how he likes to handle his business. He likes to get paid in cash, and he likes to get paid before he would go out and play. So once he went back and got his money, he headed out to his car again, returned with his guitar, walked up to the backup band, introduced himself to Bruce, and Bruce, of course, and his band were like, uh, do, we did, did you want to practice? Did you want to get ready? Nope. His answer was no. Bruce asked, well, what about the playlist? What, what songs do you want to play? What order are we going to play them? What are we going to do tonight? And Chuck Berry responded, how about we play some Chuck Berry? And once the stage was ready, they walked out up on stage. Chuck started playing. And they had to keep up. And apparently, that's how the entire concert went. And that's how Chuck Berry handled most of his shows. He just started, and the backup band had to keep up for his whole career. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Well, happy birthday, Chuck. You would have been 97 years old today. Now it's time for the very first edition of the Butterfly Effect segment here at Daystrider. So you've heard the phrase butterfly effect, right? It comes from the realm of chaos theory, and it essentially means that some small event can set off a chain reaction of other events that eventually has a major impact on some other event in the future. Well, here in the world of Daystrider, our butterfly effect is talking about an event that happened on this day in history that caused a chain reaction of other events all throughout history and eventually leads to something fascinating that happens in the future that also happened on this day. Are you ready? Today, we're going to be talking about the full circle of segregation and discrimination. From the exile of a group of people for religious reasons to the seeds of the integration of a different group of people for the color of their skin reasons. Now, quick public service announcement. I am not going to get into the politics of either race or religion. I'm only sharing an interesting story about how the Daystrider butterfly danced across history and brought about a full circle all on this special day. So give it a listen before judging. So our story starts back in the 1600s in France. King Louis XIV was reigning at the time. Now, if you look up King Louis, you'll learn that he became king at age five. He had the longest reign of any European monarch for 72 years. And his love of arts and culture propelled France into a golden age in its history and making it the dominant power in Europe. But he also ruled France and its subjects as if it were their duty to fund his royal lifestyle. And he did one more thing that was not so great. So King Louis was Catholic, like most of France and most of Europe. And at the time, the Catholics did not like the Protestants. So for those of you who aren't super religious, Christianity has multiple branches where the Catholics are the OGs. They're the original version of the religion. And then in the 1500s, the Protestants came along and they felt like the Catholics were abusing their power. And so they formed their own branch of Christianity. Again, I'm not getting into religious debate here. I'm just sharing with you what things were like in the 1600s in France. So there's this document called the Edict of Nantes that was put in place for kings prior to King Louis XIV, where it granted religious tolerance to people who wanted to practice Protestantism. But King Louis was a strong supporter of the OG Catholic religion, and it was so bad that he decided he wanted to force the Protestants into exile. So on this day in 1685, King Louis said, nope, 
I'm done with that, shredded up the document, and then sent the French popo out into the world to persecute anyone who is practicing Protestant religion. And when I say persecute, I mean put them to death. So at the time, there were 20 million people living in France. It was the sixth largest kingdom in the world. And about a million and a half of those people were actually practicing the Protestant religion because of this edict. And now King Louis said, nope, not anymore. You either convert back to Catholicism or you're going to be put to death. So many of these million and a half people said, all right, fine, I'll switch back. Or at least they said they did. But about a third of them, 500,000 people said peace and left France. And they headed to all different countries around the world. Many of them came to America. Now, at this time, America had about 75,000 people living in it. It was still all the colonies, right? This is the 1600s, but I'm going to call it America anyway. So of those half a million of people who came to America, mind you, many of them were in the upper middle class, and they were huge contributors to French society. And when they got to America, they were huge contributors here as well. For example, a member of the DuPont family came to America, and he brought with him the art of gunpowder making. And you've probably heard of the DuPont company. It ranks 86th on the Fortune 500 list today. Another person who came to America was Paul Revere's father. So you probably remember the name Paul Revere as the ride where the British are coming. That's him. His grandfather was exiled from France. And then, of course, George Washington's grandfather on his mother's side was also a Protestant in France and left to come to America. So all those great names, and there are many more, I say, thanks, Louis XIV, for being such a jerk. Okay, let's get back to our butterfly. One of the other names of people who left France to come to America was Pierre-Alphonse de Tanti. So he was kind of a tough guy, and uh, regular society didn't work for him. He was more of a pioneer settler. And he made his way out to the Midwest, and he was trying to help settle America. And he worked with the gentleman named Cadillac, and together the two of them established a fort on the Detroit River in 1701. So this is about 17 years after leaving France, he established this fort made it a stronghold, helped it grow and become more powerful in the region, and that fort eventually became the city of Detroit. So a hundred years later, Detroit was founded. Folks in Detroit, you can say thanks, King Louis, for being such a jerk. Anyway, our Daystrider butterfly is going to keep fluttering along the Detroit River all the way down to the mouth to a section of town called Gross Point. And in the 1920s, the good folks of Gross Point built a prestigious primary and secondary school And that school did its thing for the next 40 years until the year 1968, where our butterfly lands now. So we're now 283 years after King Louis kicked off this religious persecution. And that night, into Gross Point High School, walks none other than Martin Luther King Jr. And he was there to deliver a speech that he called The Other America. And that speech was about trying to, quote, solve the turbulent problem of race confronting our nation. So at this time in America, there was lots of civil unrest. People were protesting in many places around the country. And in 1967, there were riots in over 100 cities all across the United States, including in Detroit. The goal of Martin Luther King was racial equality. He wanted to peacefully raise public awareness of racism and the inequalities in America at that time. So this is not much different than in King Louis' time. Recall, that was the Protestants who felt oppressed by the religiously dominant Catholics. 
And here in America in the late 60s, it was people with dark skin felt oppressed by the civilly dominant people with white skin. Now, just like before, I'm not here to get into a civil rights debate. But I did want to connect the dots between these two events in history for you. So, Dr. King was trying to use the power of words to influence all Americans to be more tolerant in a city that can connect some dots all the way back to a significant act of intolerance many years before. All right, so back to South Point High School and Dr. King. 2,000 people packed into the gym that night, and it was a moving speech. The recordings of that speech aren't great, but you can read about it on Google. Now, this speech occurred three weeks before King was assassinated. It didn't take place on exactly the same day in history, but it was close enough for my butterfly. So now you have an interesting tale you can tell about how a monarch made a religiously racist decision in 1685 in France on this day, and it kicked a chain of events off that led to a great American trying to end racism in America in 1968, close to this day. And there you have it, folks. Some great stories you can share with someone special who's celebrating October 18th. Once again, those were, today, saw a major advancement in the history of the telephone. They share a special birthday with the father of rock and roll. And an interesting butterfly effect story kicked off on their special day. But perhaps you're unfulfilled because you haven't gotten anything for your loved one. Of course, you'd love something more tangible than a handful of stories, right? Well... Today happens to be National Chocolate Cupcake Day. That's right, Chocolate Cupcake Day. So I'm not sure if your local supermarket sells chocolate cupcakes, but if they don't, you could get the ingredients and make some for your loved one. Or heck, even make some with your loved one. Not interested in a dessert? Well, it's also National No Beard Day. (laughs) Yes, as odd as that seems, it's National No Beard Day. I can't tell if that was invented to get men to clean their faces before no-shave November, or if it's a gimmick by the razor blade companies to sell more sharps. But if your loved one does use an electric razor of any kind, I'm pretty sure they could use a new set of blades in their device, so that's a great gift idea. And if those things aren't cool enough, well, why don't you plan ahead for next time? Leave me a comment and this podcast, or get a hold of me at daystriderstories at gmail.com, And tell me your loved one's name and something interesting you'd want included in a future podcast. I can do some shout-outs to a random selection of folks, and they'll be forever memorialized right here in the Daystrider. For example, happy birthday, Charlie Chinchilli. Cha-la-la. Not sure what that means, but you could have something like that, too. And of course, there are only 70 million podcast episodes out there in the world, and growing by the thousands of every day, so you could be part of one of those. That's right, there are almost a half a million podcasts active in the world right now. So if you wouldn't mind, click the like and share button and left me a favorable comment. That would be totally awesome because that would just help me grow my podcast from the smallest one in the world to the second smallest. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Truman Pastworthy, reminding you that every day has a great story. And we'll be striding through them all to find some more goodies for you. Now get out there and make your own great story today. <laughs>